Welcome back to That Was the Worst Podcast Ever. I'm joined here with my co-host, Jordan Clausen. He's a singer-songwriter and one of my favorite people, i got to be honest, in the whole world. And um, I love him. And today, <laughs> we are taking a journey with Sufjan Stevens through the cosmos. We're going from planet to planet, and, and we're soaring through space, just like um, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> but first, Jor, how are you doing? It's good to see you. It's been a little while. Yeah, I am doing all right. I am very, very busy right now with with my work, and that's good. I'm uh, just got my master's back for a new record, and Woo! so yeah, I'm. Things are good, um, but we are just kind of. I think we overbooked our summer. So yeah. Basically, yeah, I think starting not this coming or yeah, starting this coming weekend, basic every summer or every weekend we have something for the rest of the summer. Um, like maybe even I think most of them going away. So, yeah, yeah that's that's the case for us, too. It's like because um, we're vaccinated now. We should tell the you're fully vaxxed. Um, well, I, I got my my second is booked. The appointment's booked. Oh, wow. You're. You're way behind me, bro. Yeah, it's, you know, we have a larger population here in BC. Sorry. Wow. Because what happened here is everybody got their second dose, and it is, like, crazy how busy things are now. Yeah. And it, we're we're going ham, and we're, we got weddings, and, you know, I'm going to visit you. Yeah. <laughs> You're coming out to Vancouver. I'm going to come out to Vancouver. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a weird time because there really wasn't a transition from what we went through. It's just everybody's just like in Alberta, they did the stampede. Yeah. You know, I it's funny, like since because that's what it's kind of like here too, more and more. And, you know, it's just I feel like the floodgates have just opened in my heart. Like I mm. didn't realize how kind of bogged down my kind of my social energy was for so long and now i just feel like usually for for most of my life as an adult i um would be in like a social situation like a party and there'd be a little part of me that was like sad and brooding always but that's gone now it's gone i mean it might come back but i like we we went camping with some pals and like usually i'd probably be like oh i wish i could like just sit down and read alone yeah but no i was just like woohoo let's <laughs> let's play lawn darts and like chat around the fire and just do all the camping things and just enjoyed everyone so much and it's like i didn't realize how much i missed it missed just social interaction i felt like i was starving and i didn't even know it and i'm just, now i'm being fed wow you're like um you know, at the end of Into the Wild, when he's like dying in the school bus in Alaska. Yeah. And he's like, I just tried to escape everyone, but now I realize life is best when it's shared with others. Exactly. And then he like dies. Exactly. That's yeah. you. I didn't need any poison seeds, though, but yeah. Wow. Maybe Jor, the poison What an seed, epiphany. The poison seeds were my own cynicism. <laughs> wow. I wish I was there. I still get those feelings of like, just want to be alone don't make me do things or just like even just like you know the classic enneagram four like nobody gets me here yeah (laughs) nobody (laughs) understands me only i understand me and i need to be alone yeah i mean that's not to say i don't like to be alone still but it's just i don't know i just feel like i have this new social energy so that's really great at the same time though i I think i think you see this a lot like in in our in the world right now and there's this little part of me that's like can you imagine the devastation if there's another wave (laughs) (laughs) there there might be yeah exactly i know it will be devastating yeah i know 
And then what was really bumming me out is I started reading a bunch about climate change. So I've got, I've just been bumming myself out because BC is on fire. Your yeah. province is on yeah. fire. And I was just like, oh, so I'm reading um, The Uninhabitable Earth, this book. I'm wa- watching stuff on Netflix and geez. But anyway, I don't want to bring everybody down. Um, it's okay. Jeff Bezos is, went to space. We're going to be fine. <laughs> He's going to save the world. He's exploring the rim of the earth for some reason. Yeah. Um, Do you know what? I did. Can I just say this? Uh, just as a little bit of a contrarian fact here. I was thinking this morning, I woke up. I was a little bit grumpy. I think I had a couple too many beers last night. But I woke up and I was like, hey, everybody in Vancouver, I don't give a shit what you think about Jeff Bezos. Stop <laughs> talking about him. I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> Sure. You didn't see his little cowboy hat and his like he's so out of touch and he's just like, I wanna thank all the Amazon workers for making this possible. You don't have any feelings about that? Um He's wearing I, he wore a cowboy hat, Jor. <laughs> he wore a cowboy hat to go into space. He's a I, you, you know what? I think it's great to make fun of him and that's great. It's and he deserves it, you know. If you are ridiculously wealthy, you deserve to have people make fun of you. But it's not that. It's not the. It's not the jokes. It's more like the um, outrage. Like yeah, I it, don't care about your outrage, and everybody's outraged all the time about something. I just don't yeah. care. Yeah. Basically, it's like it's a race to the first person that can be like, uh, go to space or like fix homelessness. Yeah. It's yeah, like a exactly. race of like everybody's like, I want to say it first. <laughs> yeah. I want to say it first. <laughs> totally. It's like yeah, of course. You know what? There have been lots of people who for a long time who could fix homelessness like you're not having an epiphany here well hey i'm gonna blow everybody's mind why don't we fix homelessness together and not put it on others yeah whoa that you know what that could be the tweet that really gets (laughs) me famous makes you famous just kidding yeah uh but honestly though i was reading about his trip and i know you don't want to talk about it but i this is what I read. He was like barely in space. Like it basically is just like just skimming the Earth's atmosphere. And I think the whole trip was like 30 minutes. And he had like seven minutes to take a seatbelt off and like float around. And that was it. And and that was that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. Do you know what? But anyway, that makes me Jory, think. He should be fixing homelessness. Yeah, that makes me that. think. Poverty. What about a? I'm getting okay, no. Also. Here's the thing. I'm not making light of poverty. I, I, I just think like there's this part of me, and maybe this is like uh, I hope this isn't too controversial, but reality is just broken, and things <laughs> ju- things just suck. The world sucks, and it's always sucked. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't like work really hard towards equity and making the world a better place. But stop being so shocked all the time. It's like, yeah, yeah, the world, people have always been bad. Yeah. Yeah. And from the wise words of Michael Jackson, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We got to start with the man in the mirror. And (laughs) I don't want to talk about Michael Jackson. I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) Um, This is something that I've been thinking about lately. Your mainstream wife and my indie wife, in some ways, do not fit very like nicely into their categories you sent me a video or you as i'm watching the new some new clips from i think you should leave which is a hilarious new netflix show love that show and i'm watching these clips and you're like have you seen the show and i'm like yeah anyway and you're like this is mine and courtney's favorite show right now mm-hmm. and actually olivia thinks it's funny too but I'm just going to say, I think in in this way, your wife is more indie than my wife. And my wife is more mainstream. Like, when it comes to humor, like, Courtney's favorite show is, like, Nathan for You. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very high-level humor. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but... And Olivia's... Olivia, like, ha- has watched, you know, New Girl, like, ten times. The whole thing. And still um, laughs at the jokes and stuff. 
Wow, that's really lame. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Olivia, I'm kidding. And so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out there, that maybe there's a little more nuance to this situation than we once thought. Well, yeah, and with Courtney, with I Think You Should Leave, it took some time to get her to come around to it. Oh. But the Haunted House tour sketch, she loved so much. (laughs) And... um. And I was basically like, could I renew my vows right now? Like, I'm so <laughs> in love with you right now. It is really funny. It's it's also just the kind of show, it's kind of like Monty Python, where, like, when you're watching it, it's not so LOL. But when you're talking about it later with your friends, it's, like, very <laughs> LOL. That's true. I love, love when that one bit where he goes... I just don't want to be around anymore. And he's, he's like, I'm just a yeah. that guy. But that's, you know, that's something everybody should know about my mainstream wife, Courtney, is she loves prank humor. She loves jackass. She loves Borat. Oh. She loves this new movie called Bad Trip that came out this year. Did you watch that? No. Oh, my gosh. It's basically like the raunchiest like prank humor stuff my mainstream wife i don't know why she contains multitudes you can't figure her out but she loves this stuff and um and honestly she led the way she led me into this world i was very sheltered i i was not watching borat when it came out it was that was not what that's not what good christian men did yeah but courtney opened up the door i walked through it and man we are just living in that world now (laughs) Au contraire, Justin, I actually think that one of the most weird masculine expressions is dudes standing around and be- making Borat impressions. Yeah. Like, and like, and Christian guys, too. Like, um, yeah, you know, my wife, stuff like that. <laughs> well, isn't it a thing? Don't you realize that, like, the funniest guy in your high school was just some guy quoting, like, Ace Ventura. <laughs> like, that was it. Yeah. And you're just like, he's so funny. Yeah. It's just a guy just be like, do not go in there. Like, <laughs> that was high school. That was all high school was, was just, like, guys just quoting Billy Madison to each other. Totally. Oh, like, Adam Sandler. So he was a hit. I remember, I can distinctly remember putting in a cassette tape of one of Adam Sandler's um, records and he had a track in there called the longest P <laughs> and it was just a track where he's just like oh man I really got a P and it's just like all audio right so you hear this like dribble and then all of a sudden it's just like getting the dribbles getting louder and louder he's like whoa, whoa! and it was just like this explosion of liquid and I remember like laughing till I was weeping <laughs> like in grade seven like this is the best humor ever <laughs> Created, basically. <laughs> and I have to be honest, I think Adam Sandler is brilliant. And I'm an apologist for Adam Sandler. Huh. The other day I went over to my in-laws and... No, no, it was my sister-in-laws. Yeah, it's my in-laws. And the TV was just on and Billy Madison was on. And I was just like, what a gift. And I just turned it up and I sat there by myself everybody else was socializing and I was like this is the funniest movie ever it's still so funny huh I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that one but I love that you are passionate about it you know (laughs) what well did you like did you watch Billy Madison growing up yeah but there's lots of things I watched growing up and I'm like now is now I'm like this is the worst thing I've ever seen like <laughs> what like it holds up it's still great like oh the water boy what an annoying movie that's so funny <laughs> no it's not it's not the water boy is so funny no it's not it's like just kind of like the lowest dregs of humor just like <laughs> just like it's like a it's a full-grown man like talking in a baby voice the whole time like <laughs> that's funny. No, it's not. It's not funny. He's from the bayou. <laughs> what you want him to talk normal? Just like and just like, you know, like all kind of like sex and fart jokes. Just like, yeah, do her, do her good. Stuff like that. Like oh Yeah, because they're leaving from the wedding. <laughs> that's funny. No, it's not. That's like 
That honestly, if you're at a wedding and they're leaving and you quote that line, that's funny. <laughs> oh no, do you do that? No, but you've just reminded me. I just got back from a wedding and I totally blew my chance. Yeah. What does he say exactly? I don't know. He's like, you can do it all night long. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Yeah. I I think it's the kind of thing, you know, like also I think Dumb and Dumber. Like when Dumb and Dumber came out, it was just a comedic revolution. Yes, and that, don't, now, what are you going to say about <laughs> Dumb and Dumber? I don't, I'm scared just, now. The, the look on Justin's face right now is pure sadness. You don't think Dumb and Dumber is funny? I I think it like it's nostalgic, but I don't think it's funny. No, I I was actually just having a discussion about this with some friends. Like it's crazy how comedy and what and humor, like how fast it evolves and moves, like in culture. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, I watch things now, especially like from the 70s or 80s, like stand up. And I'm like, this is just so lame. And it's not just because I'm like, I'm better than them. It's or my humor is better. It's just like comedy moves, it changes. And now old ways of expressing it are just dead, which is just so interesting to me. I just wouldn't put Dumb and Dumber there. (laughs) But some things are timeless. Billy Madison and Dumb and Dumber. Oh, you sound like a golden age kind of guy, you know? Like, well, man, <laughs> was there ever any better time than grunge <laughs> in music? Well, do you think there's, you know, in Dumb and Dumber when he goes, big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. <laughs> yeah, that I is think a good that line. is so funny. That is a good line, yeah. One time I was at the mall and I was on an escalator and somebody I knew was coming the other way on the escalator so we were passing and i just went hello and they went hey but they were passing on the escalator and so i went big gulps huh (laughs) and then they just went what and then the escalator just kept moving and i just had to shrug and just be like well that was that interaction they didn't get the joke. Oh, they didn't get the joke, sadder. and I like couldn't explain it. And yeah. I think that was the you last time like, I ever saw it's them. It's the line from a from a Dumb and Dumber. It's from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> also, another quick Waterboy story. I went to the Waterboy by myself when I was like thirteen. Oh yeah. And I sat behind these other teenagers, and I was burping for some reason, just like burping. <laughs> And I heard them go, ew, somebody, somebody is burping. Like, I could hear them talking, and they're like, it's so sick. And so the rest of the movie, I just felt humiliated, and I was trying not to burp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's my memory of the water boy. Yeah, huh. I remember, I don't think I was allowed to watch it or something, and... But I watched it anyway, and so it was really weighed on my conscience. Okay, hold on. Have you ever gone to see a movie you weren't supposed to, and then had to come home and lie about it? Uh, um, I don't think I ever lied. I I had a very very active conscience as a kid, and like I remember, this was like I was quite young, probably like grade five or six. But I remember going to um, like friends' houses and. I remember once a friend's birthday party and they had rented a bunch of movies and I was like, I can't watch these. And I phoned my dad. Yeah. And then my dad phoned the dad and was like, we don't want Jordan to watch these movies. And I ruined the whole birthday party. And so for the, so they shut down the movies for the whole birthday party. Well, there were a couple where that were okay still, but they had a few PG 13 movies. Wow. Yeah. I bet everybody was like, we have to invite Jordan to the next birthday. <laughs> and they were like, Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor little guy. And then when I came home, my, I remember my dad being like, we're really proud of you for doing that. Oh, that so melts me. Like, I actually love that. My daughter Annabelle's like that. And I was like that, too. I remember being at a birthday party and they were watching Jumanji. And I was like, not for my eyes. And then I went to another room and I just played the PlayStation for two hours. I was like, I'm not doing Jumanji. It's like a Ouija board. I can't do it. Oh, yeah. Ouija board. 
Yeah. Right. So you and I were pretty similar. Yeah, no, I had lots of crises of conscience. Actually, as an adult, that's something I've had to kind of grapple with a mm-hmm. little bit. It's like, what is your conscience? Because when you're young, and especially in that era, it was like, always follow your conscience. Mm-hmm. But sometimes your conscience is wrong. Totally. And so that's that gets complicated, yeah. Especially like when you're like, I want to do the right thing. You have this like inner drive to always do the right thing. But, I mean, earn earnestness. Oh, I thought you were gonna, e- we were going to move on to Ernest. Like Ernest does Halloween. But honestly, Ernest goes to Halloween. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. No, but I think earnestness and sincerity even misplaced you can always look back and just be like well at least i was at least i was just wholeheartedly in it you know yeah i think you can look fondly at that and even be like even though it was cringy or it was the wrong thing i just wanted to do the right thing you know yeah well george should we get into the planetarium now let's get into the planetarium all right well after this short break We're going to be looking at a collaborative album from 2017, Planetarium. Stay with us. Uh, Bye. What's right and what's wrong? Don't you hold me too lightly to words as I've rounded them off to the nearest of ten. For I gathered your body in envious capture and envious thought. Oh, forgive me, oh gods, or forgive me in fortune, forgive me in feeling it out for myself, as I ought to have feelings for something as great as thou art. Mac, we are here um, via Zoom on one of us in Calgary, one of us in Vancouver, um, talking about Sufjan Stevens' 2017 smash hit record. Oh, <laughs> do you think so? No, it, no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, okay, keep going. Uh, the Planetarium. It's a collaboration record with uh, Nico Mully. Um, we got some Bryce Desner from the National in there. And um, last but not least, oh, sorry, what's the drummer's name? This is so lame. I gotcha. James McAllister. Yeah. Great. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've listened to this record now uh, three or four times in the last few weeks. Um, it's very long, of course, Souf. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Justin, what what are your thoughts? What is, what is first of all for for your own taste and your own um, enjoyment? How did it? How did you engage with it? Well, this is what this is what I'm curious about. So it comes out in 2017. This is a post Carrie and Lowell world. Yeah, and it's not. It wasn't quite seen as a Sufjan release. That's what I remember. It was, it felt like a side project. Yeah. Which, that's how I felt when it came out in 2017. Oh, there's this side project. But the truth is, it's very Sufjan-y. It is, it could, like, if you didn't tell me that it's a collaborative thing, I would have just been like, oh, it's a Sufjan record. But at the time, it didn't really even make a blip on my radar, and I don't know why. Yeah. I didn't really listen to it. It, it didn't really grab my attention. Did yeah. it for you? No, no, it didn't. Um, I don't know. It, Sufjan releases things, and I, this, this is always the way he's done it. Looking right now, he released... Carrie and Lowell Live, Planetarium, The Greatest Gift, all in the same year. Um, he So he kind of like just has these kind of barrage of releases. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just kind of feel like my, my music consumption appetite is already so small that even especially by this time, it just, just kind of passed me by a little bit. Um, that's But 
I was also been very pleasantly surprised by it. Um, in general, uh, I think that the most of the reviews and the the critic, the critical acclaim or the critical ratings are like pretty accurate. I'd probably give it on the jaw on the jaw scale like a six or a seven out of ten. Yeah, um, yeah, I would give it a six. Yeah, yeah, but some some really great songs. I think that's a good point because the greatest gift I was into, I listened to that a bunch. Mm-hmm. I listened to Carrie and Lowell live a ton. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was just preoccupied with some of his other releases, and um, and I, I don't what he, so reading about this album is it was commissioned for um, Nico. Nico. Yeah. So. And by a European, it, by? it was like a European like concert house or something. He's a neoclassical composer, I, I believe. And I think he goes back with Sufjan quite a bit, doesn't he? Oh yeah. So, but this is what I this is what I find so interesting is the BQE was commissioned by the Museum of Modern Art or something. He gets commissioned to to do the BQE, and then. And then in Europe, there's this commissioning to do this album. And I don't know, what is that? Like, somebody's just like, let's pay for... Oh, sorry, the phone's ringing. Let's pay for this album to be... Like, I just don't understand. Jor, do you get commissioned to to do stuff by art galleries or something? No. I think that's more of like a high art kind of thing, like New York City. And I wish there was more of that kind of stuff. That's... That stuff turns my crank. Would you like that if, like, a museum was like, Jordan, write an album about this Vancouver city block? I would love that. Yeah. I guess you have to be at Sufjan's level, though. Yeah, you do. You have to be special. So the story goes, Nico Mully. Am I saying that right? I don't know. He's a composer. He gets commissioned to for this project and then he enlists the help of Sufjan and Bryce Dresner and Desner, James McAllister. Yeah. So and then they they make this album. It's such like a peculiar thing, don't you think? And it's all based on space and planets obviously. But it's just so random. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so random. Like who could have predicted? Yeah. And obviously I mean, Sufjan on the billing just kind of dwarfs everybody else, don't you feel like? Yeah, uh, Bryce Desner is a pretty big deal. The Nationals are a pretty hu- humongous band. I know, but it doesn't, this music doesn't sound like the Nationals. No, it doesn't. It, it sounds, sounds like, like Sufjan. Sufjan. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you like the National? I love them. Yeah. I gotta be honest. I love them too. Yeah, I love those sad, those sad dad, dad rockers. <laughs> oh, it's just so. Yeah, it's so. Well, that's not true. I, there, there are a couple records that I am not that into, but in general, it's just so perfect. You know, it's like I know these like brooding, beautiful lyric. Like um, Matt Berninger is an amazing lyricist. Yeah. Um, and musically, it's interesting, but not, like, too experimental ever, you know? It's, like, just, like, toes this line of just, like, interesting and provocative, but also, like, really melodic. And they're just great songwriters and great arrangers. I, I like that band a lot. I do, too. I, I The record I got really into was um, the record cover has that girl's head coming out of that mirror. The oh, black and white Trouble Will one. Find Me. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I got I loved that. Yeah, that's a great. Love that. I got to be honest. I I haven't really listened to their newer stuff, but that record to me was heavy rotation. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should listen to Sleep Well Beast, which is the one that came out after that. That's another great record, and the one before High Violet too is. I I see those as kind of like a trilogy of records that go mm. together. Yeah. So here's a question, Jor. I mean, we've got this collaboration between. The National and Sufjan Stevens mm-hmm. and Nico and 
I'm, I want to call him Kevin McAllister, but that's the guy from Home Alone. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny Let's if it was Kevin McAllister? Yeah. Let's call him Kevin McAllister. Every song in the background is just like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, but Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound like a national collaboration with Sufjan, I think. Huh. Like, do you hear the national influence at all on on Planetarium? Uh, yes, I do. That well, uh, there there was a couple of things that I heard that I thought, oh, this is so this is so Bryce. <laughs> um, <laughs> do tell the song Pluto is the opening is the super nationally guitar part. Oh, um, okay, there you go. Um, let's listen to that one. This from the planetarium is Pluto. Sorry, I'm burping. What am I, at the water boy again? So in your mind, this is really, this, this is like listening to the national kind of. Yeah, they ha- they have especially um the desner brothers have this really loose way of playing that sounds like they're just touching the strings and it's all it's, you know really almost behind time and yeah yeah i'm kind of ignorant so it does have that influence to it it's not it's not there a lot i would say most of it feels really sufian and it's also a lot of it is like bombastic sufian which is unfortunate yes. um but it's funny you know i i actually think for me, the the record is strongest at the beginning. Yeah, um, I think that too. And uh, right up until Mars. Mars is when things start to go downhill. And it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's not a very well-arranged record, in my opinion, also. I mean, again, it depends on what you're going for. I'm sure a lot of, you know, nerdy boy Sufjan fans would be mad and be like, your, your expectations are too mainstream, man. But I am, I don't think so. It's just like why put all like these like great kind of like kind of pop hooks at the beginning and then have like Mars, which is just like oh Sufjan with the robot voice, like please stop. Um, and then you got Black Energy Sun Tides, and those yeah. are all instrumental, which is in- instrumental. Yeah. So. What I'm wondering as I'm listening through, I go, okay, hold on. Does it just morph into an instrumental record and the rest of the album is... That's what I thought. And um, I thought Mars was kind of scary and and uh, Black Energy is kind of scary. <laughs> Sun is pretty nice. Yeah, I guess. You know, actually, on the Pitchfork review I read, they were really positive about the instrumentals. But I just... You know, this this is actually they said something in it that I thought real was really succinct. It was like, um, when you listen to something that is like truly experimental, um, the reason why it works, if it works, is because it's like they experimented and discovered something. You know? Yeah. It was kinda like, Oh wow, there's something magical here that they found and, and you're part of that experience. Whereas I think that this feels a little bit more like Let's just make something that's like arty. Hmm. You know, it's not, it doesn't feel like they were like searching for something. It just feels like they kind of like were like, yeah, we want to make some weird shit. Mm hmm. And it gets boring, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. It gets a little boring. But you don't let that discount some really good incredible music yeah, you're right. on this album you're right let's listen to the neptune the first mm-hmm. song which is solid yeah it it's a great sufyan song what's right and, and what's where do you i want to ask you this George. where do you hear nico mully's influence this composer because i've to me, I'm like, well, Sufjan composes, and so it's hard to tell what's composed by Sufjan and what isn't. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the kind of thing where you're like, 
oh, there's that. I mean, I also don't know Nico Moly's music that yeah. well, but I don't think it's kind of like, oh, there's Nico Moly coming to the table. I think he's kind of more like the arranger. In my mind, yeah. anyway, it, it seems like Sufjan was really like the the melodist and the and the lyricist for this, um, and that everything else, like arrangement wise, was kind of put together by the other three guys. But I also have no idea. That's that's how I imagine it. I think yeah. the opening of this record, it's so promising. And I mean, unfortunately, I think in the middle, it just gets a little bogged down. But my favorite is listening to Neptune and letting it go right into Jupiter. And I think that's, it's great. Yeah. I, I also think, I also think Venus is a really great song too. Jupiter oh, yeah. and Venus. Well, let's just listen to the intro of Jupiter quickly. Because I, th I think it's really cool. Just the doom, doom. Yeah. Okay, Jor, we have got to talk about Venus. Yeah, isn't that where wi um, women are from? <laughs> Very good, Jor. That made me laugh. <laughs> this is... It's fleshing out the predatory wasp. It's like a companion to the predatory wasp. We're getting back into the Methodist summer camp, Jor. Yeah, I thought about that too. The lyrics are very provocative. I have so, no idea what they're about, but. So Sufjan in an interview was asked a question like, are you, how do you feel about religion being pushed on you? Whatever. And his response was, well, my first sexual experience or something to this effect was at a Methodist summer camp. Huh. And Venus, he, he's basically writing about it. His, probably his first sexual experience at a Methodist summer camp, and he's relating it to Venus as, you know, I, I, you probably know more about Greek mythology and stuff. Not but really. I guess... Venus is a bit of a sexy thing. What does Venus the what does Venus represent in the in the mythology? I don't know. I read about it, but I'm so ignorant about this stuff. Oh. But I want to pull up the lyrics because Oh, it's the Roman goddess of love and beauty. There you go. Yeah. So let's look at the lyrics for a sec. Because this is something, Jor, we haven't gotten into a lot on uh on the podcast, but it's something that people want to talk about all the time when it comes about Sufjan Stevens, which is his sexuality. Mm. I do want to talk about it because it is something about Sufjan that's so interesting is he is, he's hard to pin down anywhere and he's hard to understand. He, we know that he has an, uh, a sincere religious side to him. Mm-hmm. And, but we also know he has a side to him that he, he's, his sexuality is, it, it's clear that he's somewhere in the LGBTQ plus community, although he's never really come out to say it mm -hmm. or to say I am. But you get glimpses like in The Predatory Wasp or in this song where he says, Methodist summer camp, you show me yours, you show me mine. Sensitive thumber thunderclap, slip beneath sleeping bag spine. Um, so he, he's basically talking about another boy at the camp and, and having his first sexual experience with him. And it's a bit of an assumption to say it's the same boy from the predatory wasp, where he says, we were in love, we were in love. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I, I've, appreciate in Sufjan that we try to make Sufjan be, well, either he's a Christian or he's gay. Um, Sufjan has never been interested in falling into those dichotomies or making those two things opposed to each other. Instead, I think he just writes about it as subtly and not overtly, but he just does kind of let you in to a little bit of the complexity and different facets of his life that yes, he's devoutly religious and yes, he's somewhere on this spectrum 
uh, of sexuality. And that's Sufyan. And everybody wants to kind of, I think, criticize that he should be one way or another. And I think he's just inviting us just to allow him to be him and not make too many assumptions about him. But I just, I find this song fascinating that he is, in essence, um, writing about something so personal as like your first sexual experience, which is pretty personal, right? Yeah. Did you go to summer camps, Christian summer camps? Yeah, I went to lots. Um, my mother was like, I really want Jordan to have an amazing experience with the Lord. And so she she took me to this charismatic summer camp where she heard that other kids came back speaking in tongues. Wow. And what was that like for you? Well, I didn't speak in tongues, but I think I had some crazy experiences with the Lord. That's good. Did you have any sexual experiences? Yeah, actually. No, not sexual. Not, I mean, I guess... I guess they're sexual, but I remember like there was once where there was like a girl and whoa, man, she was a babe. And we, I think we kissed at the end of it once. Whoa. It was <laughs> awesome. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. But like, and at the very end of the, we kind of, I think what happened was that at the very end of the week, we finally expressed our feelings for each other, but it was the last day and our parents were coming to pick us up. But then we kissed, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I'd never felt those feelings before. Well, that, <laughs> that's what's so, I think, relatable about Sufjan writing about this Christian summer camp. Because it is kind of a metaphor, I think, to Sufjan and I think to many, which is we want to have experiences with God. And we want to have these holy mountaintop experiences. But at a summer camp... There's another thing that pops up is you also want to experience, um, I don't know, sexuality and you want to experience sensuality and romance. And in these contexts, they're at war with each other, and, and, but they all converge at a summer camp, which is you're experiencing God and you're also exploring like stuff you never explore. It's just, it's a fascinating thing. But I got to be honest, not me, baby. No sexual experiences whatsoever at my Christian summer camp. Really? Um, no crushes? I heard about it. Was never involved. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I I was basically 100% there for the Lord. Yeah. But. There was no crushes. Just, there was no girls that you're like, oh, wow. Of course. But I was such a late bloomer mm. that. When everybody else looked 16, I still looked 11. So I was not partaking in any any romances whatsoever. I did um, get a girl's email address, and then I, I later, I mailer Damon uh, emailed me back to let me know she gave me a fake one. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to write an email of like, hey, really nice to meet you at camp. Like, what else are you into? Whatever. And then just to get a reply from mailer Damon. Yeah. Get out of here, like, Damon. Oh, no. <laughs> Damon. Okay, that reminds me of a little story I got to tell you. Okay, let's hear it, Joe. Um, this is a friend of mine, um, and he. <laughs> I, it's kind of a long story. I won't. I won't go into too many of the details. But it's like, uh, basically, he, when he was like twenty, went out with this girl a couple times, and he really, really liked her, and she kind of like blows him off, and it, he's heartbroken. And so he does this thing that he sometimes does where he goes into his email and just writes her an email and just vents everything. And it's like, you, how, how could you be so cold? Like really mean. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to say some of the exact things, but they're like really, really cutting. Anyway, he just does this, like get it off his chest, closes it, puts it away, never sends the email. And then 10 years later, he's married with kids and he's like going through everything. He's going through his email inbox and he finds this, this email. He's like, Oh, he calls his wife over. Like, isn't this hilarious? And as she's walking over, he accidentally pushes send and, send, <laughs> and sends this person the email that he wrote. And it's like years and years later. Yeah. Um, oh, no. and she, and he was like, and so, 
then he's like, oh no, like freaking out. So he quickly writes her back and he's like, tries to explain the situation. And just before he pushes send, she's already responded. And she's like, what <gasps> is going on? Like, how could you, how could you, like, she's like, why are you being such, such a jerk? And she's kind of pushing back a little bit. And oh my God. So he sends his email and then she understands and. But in the meantime, what an awkward, terrible situation, hey? Anyway, moving back to Planetarium. Um, yes. I also, I want to highlight um, what I think is one of the, also the finest points of the record is the last yes. song, Mercury. <gasps> yes, Jordan. To me, first and last, last tracks are the highlights. Mm -hmm. But Mercury is really a fantastic song. It is. And I did read on Pitchfork, I read somewhere else of like, well, this is the only song that could fit on Carrie and Lowell or, or whatever. Yes, and the only weakness of it is that there's a part where he goes, da, da, da. And it's Which exactly, sounds like Carrie and Lowell. Yes, like it is a direct melody from It's Tired Old Mare, that line. Which, also, fun fact, these songs were written before Carrie and Lowell. Oh. So this project was kind of started or formed like 2012-ish. So this is, even though it comes out after, these songs were written before. So he could have used this as a, you know, as just like a starting point for some song. Yeah. On Karen Lowell. But it's a good one. It's so good. But mm -hmm. there are a few, like Saturn. Why is Saturn the single? I really... I really don't like this song. I really don't like when Sufjan affects his voice in, this, voice in this kind of harsh, robotic way. It's just not, I don't know. It's just not my bag, you know? Yeah, and it's a little odd, just, yeah, it's kind of the, this auto-tune. Yeah. Not great. And then you know, Earth is like a fifteen-minute, uh, yeah, instrumental song, isn't it? Classic Sooth. Yeah, it's very. Classic but I, I, I like, I like. There are some really great moments in that song. I think I just don't mm -hmm. like the like. Yeah, you know what? Another um, critique I heard on it this was is that it's like a lot of, there's a lot of like, ideas that just don't really. It's just like the kind of like. Um, exuded a lot of ideas but didn't kind of complete them you know it doesn't feel like everything fits together nicely it's just kind of like a barrage of musical moments that yeah i don't i don't know i don't feel like really have they don't feel connected to anything so i have a question jor in a way sufyan's songwriting on this album it's not that different to Illinois, let's say. So there is a concept. It's a concept album. But with a song like Venus, he's loosely taking the concept with like Predatory Wasp. And so he's writing about his experiences at the summer camp and, and that. And he does that a couple times, you know, with some of the songs. Um, with other, other songs, like we mentioned, Jupiter being the loneliest planet. What make why do you feel like this doesn't come together as much as let's say in Illinois? Because isn't Sufyan just doing what Sufyan does? Well, I think there's a sonic element to it. Like there it, to me this is a this record's a lot more like Age of Odds. Um but I could see what you mean, like in, in that it follows a really strict theme. Um I I don't think it comes together that well because like I said, there's just not a lot of heart in it. Mm-hmm. It just, it seems like a project, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's more of a project. And I find some of it more of a stretch for some reason. Mm. Like when he says Saturn is, or sorry, uh, Jupiter is the loneliest planet. I'm just, a part of me is just kind of like, eh. Yeah. Huh. I agree. I don't think, I don't think lyrically as a, it's as compelling as a lot of other things that he's done. Yeah. And I, I read that Sufyan commented on that, and it's because Jupiter is could have been a star or is like a failed star. 
oh. or whatever. And, and so he's feeling like it's a lonely. And I love Sufjan, and I usually love the way that he, he plays with concepts and stuff. But that one is the closest I've ever gotten to a bit of like an eye roll of like, oh, okay. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I that one didn't necessarily stand out to me specifically, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But my thought is, you know, the Pitchfork review gives it a six. I just kind of feel like six isn't bad. No, and I, I think that's, again, like we've we've talked about this before, like, uh, this is something that I really respect about Sufjan is that I think he just puts out work. He's mm-hmm. like amassing a catalog of music. It's not like he's like, this This is something that I don't like about my process is that like every time I make a record, not that I'm on the same level as Sufjan in any way, but every time I make a record, it's like, I'm like, this has got to be the best thing I've ever made. This has got to define me. And I like that Sufjan just plays. You know, he's just, he's an artist, he's a musician, and his job is to produce a body of work. And it's not always Mm -hmm. good. You know, it's, and sometimes it's genius. Well, I might, I might say it is always good. But when he puts out music that is like a masterpiece and is transcendent, and then he puts out something that's good, I, our expectations are just out of whack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. It's like, and th- I, answer this honestly, like when you discover one of like an incredible song that you've written and just be like, wow, that's really good. Where does it come from? Does it come from you have tried to write 50 songs and amidst the, the just working through 50 songs, two of them will be amazing? Or does it co- just come from natural inspiration where you just sit down and there it is? Or does it come from, I'm going to write an incredible song and I need to and I will and then I do? You know, like, how does it work? Yeah, that's a question that every artist is always asking themselves. How do I recreate that past success? but you can't mm-hmm. because it's not a product, you know, it's not, this is, this is something I think that in the, in the Western world and in kind of capitalism, we've, it's kind of ruined us a little bit. It, it mm-hmm. is a product in, in a, within the capitalist system, it is a product, you know, I am mm-hmm. selling it. It is like producing an income for me, but that's not how good art is made. And everybody knows that it's not like art has a soul. And so in some ways I'd say, the question is even just kind of qu- quantifying art or sorry, uh, qual- qualifying art mm-hmm. is just problematic. It's like, oh, th- what what is a great song? You know, a lot of the yeah. songs pe- people will be like, <laughs> I actually remember uh, playing in this show, literally small show um, in, a, in a small city in Canada. And somebody afterwards came up to me and was like, oh, this song of yours means so much to me. And she had had like a really hard life and a really hard, mm. crazy experience. And it like, she said it like helped her through or whatever, which is one of those moments that you always want to hear and that really, yeah, makes it feel worth it. But anyway, mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking, that's the song? Oh, like you were like that? Like you would expect a different song? Yeah. It was like kind of like what I considered like a B track on one of my records and... Really? And so... It was backspray? <laughs> Just kidding. For, um, for those of... Yeah. I wrote this song called Backspray in high school and all of my old... About how pee splashes on you. About how pee splashes on you when you're... At when, the urinal. Yeah. Um, it's a great song. <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't backspray. But anyway, so that to say is like, first of all, what is a great song? That's one of the questions. The second question yeah. is... I don't think the the ones that I do that I think are great songs and I'm like how can I recreate that? They're all it's random how it happened. Sometimes I like poured everything into it and I was like yeah, it was everything was super intentional. Other times I just like sat down and like strummed a few chords and it was it turned out to be worth it turned out to be really good and I don't know why. Well, that's what I'm wondering is does it come from just work? 
like just trying or does it just come from flow again like- yeah every time you try and make a formula like because um that that in general i think that like if if you write lots you're gonna have more of those genius moments yeah um whereas but then you got someone like paul simon who i think he says he writes like three songs a year and that's oh. how he's always done it and every single one of those songs is going to go on his record. And they're all really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, so who knows? I don't know. There's no there's no right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Sufjan Stevens cares about this conversation? Or does he just do what he wants to do and just does the work? Like, does he care at all about this? About, about making a better record than his last record you know what i mean or does he just kind of go who cares i'm making a record with my friend my friends and it is what it is i'm sure he has a a whole i'm sure he has a a philosophy that he could articulate i don't know i i I don't know what it is but um i i don't i don't think he i don't think he's like again like talking about this kind of you know free market approach um music as a product i definitely it doesn't seem like he approaches his music as a product but i've also read in an interview that he isn't that socialistic about his music like he doesn't just Mm. like give it away for free like he he wants to be paid for his work kind of thing Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know i think i just like i think he has a kind of an old he has like a uh an old school mindset about just being a creator and not being like a, it's about the work, I think more than it's about his personality. Yeah. You know, and I think through this podcast, what I've found is one of my favorite things about Sufjan Stevens is that everybody dissects his sexuality. Everybody's looking for clues about, is he this or is he that? Everybody wants to make him, and even for us coming from a church background, is we, you know, we're looking through that lens and we see him as, you know, somebody that has had similar experiences to us. And but my favorite thing about Sufyan is he that is all happening. He seems to just float above it all. It's not like he's listening. It's not like he's defending if somebody gets it wrong or it's not like he has to come out and clarify like, okay, you all are talking about my sexuality. I am bisexual or whatever. He's not finding any need to clarify, to join the conversation or to get into it. It almost seems like it's all brooding somewhere else and he is far ahead of it all, just continuing to be himself and to create art. That's my favorite thing about him. And I think doing the podcast has made me realize that. Mm. I feel like if we were to hang out with Sufjan Stevens, I don't think he'd have an ounce of of pompousness or an ounce of fame. I think I think he's probably one of the most down-to-earth famous musicians you could meet. That's going to be my assumption. What wow. do you think about that? You've really That's what I think. Yeah. He he doesn't get caught up in these conversations and he just seems to just make, just create. Mm-hmm. That is certain. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who, know, who we have no idea what he's like. I, I mean, in in some ways, it's like more and more. I'm kind of just like I don't trust any any instinct I have about what a what a famous person's like who I don't actually know. Yeah, I'm just like I I just don't make assumptions. Like I, I think a good example is actually like I was watching that ta- the most recent Taylor Swift doc. Have you watched it? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Oh, you're too cool for Taylor Swift. I'm not too cool for Taylor Swift. I appreciate her. And I appreciate a lot of her bravery and some of the things she's done. But that doesn't mean I have to like, <laughs> everybody goes gaga, goo goo. And I don't really get that. Okay. Well, I think her her uh, or her COVID records were really great. But anyway, and, and 1989 too. But... um. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I watched this doc, and it's so, she's so kind of likable and vulnerable in it, mm-hmm. and um, 
it's different than other music docs. It's, you know, like a lot of Justin Bieber docs will kind of just, they're just like big commercials for him, you know? <laughs> yeah. But this one's like, she's kind of like really talks about her struggles and stuff. And I don't know, like I watched it and I totally fell for it. And at the end I was kind of like, this is still just a marketing tool, you know? Oh, you know, you're so cynical. Uh, I'm, <laughs> it's true. Uh, but you're probably right. Like, yeah, er, nobody's, Nobody is – I've had this conversation a couple of times with some friends. Like there's this – there's a lot of talk right now in the in the, inter, in the internet world. Uh, there's a, there's this hot buzzword right now, which is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And everybody's talking about being vulnerable. And vul, vulnerability almost has become this kind of social equity. But here's the thing about vulnerability is that it's not fun. You know, no. it's not – it's not like just kind of like – just because you expose information about yourself doesn't mean that you're being vulnerable. You know, right. if if it's something that you're doing to to give you more power or more equity, it's not. It's it's quite the opposite there. of vulnerability. Yeah. So you can and you so you could be like real mom moment. I yelled at my kids today or something. But if you're in this community of moms where that's celebrated, that's not vulnerability vulnerability is is, you're essentially meeting the expectation of your group to get praise exactly and so vulnerability actually means an actual risk that is a real where you could actually be hurt and rejected yeah and so anyway i just think that like and maybe it's cynicism but the more i see this kind of vulnerability coming out in the world um and in kind of like popular you know in pop pop psychology and stuff the more Mm -hmm. i'm just cynical about it i'm like who are the who are really who are really the vulnerable people right now like Mm -hmm. vulnerable people i think are people who like have unpopular opinions who are sharing them yeah you know yeah um that's actually risky it's not risky Mm -hmm. to be like oh my gosh like i'm i you know like uh i i feel like i'm so ugly or i'm you know, like just to have people be like, no, you're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think, I think we get confused is what we want is intimacy mm. and vulnerability leads to intimacy. Yeah. But when you do it in such a public space, it's almost like we're not vulnerable. We're not getting intimacy. We're just getting likes and we're just getting pseudo praise or whatever. And I think we're confused of what we actually want. Is I think it's more meaningful to be vulnerable with with one or two people and get intimacy than to be vulnerable in a public arena and get a thousand likes or whatever. Totally. And but that's you know I think what's crazy about Sufjan is he is vulnerable in a public arena as much as he wants to be with his music. I I don't know if I call it vulnerability. I think he's honest. Yeah. I I, I think that vulnerability and I don't I don't know if I actually expect artists to be vulnerable in the truest sense of the word. I expect them to be honest, to tell the truth. But vulnerability would actually require like I say, like an actual risk to to yourself, and I don't know if there's, I don't know if Sufyan's really risking anything in his art, you know, or I, I, I don't know. This is probably a very controversial thing to say, but I don't even know if that's really what I expect from from art. And like, you earn somebody's vulnerability, and for somebody to be vulnerable with you, that's a lot of trust, and so we don't. Like, I think what we're confused about, and I think you're right, is Sufjan's being honest, but I don't think he's being, I think what is great about Sufjan is he doesn't do that thing. I think he's vulnerable to his friends mm-hmm. right, and his family, and his music gives us glimpses of his honesty and who he is, Yeah, but I don't think he's playing into this this kind of thing that is... If I'm really vulnerable in my music, then I'll get people to think I'm real or to think I'm this or, yeah. or that. But I mean, a song like Venus, it, it 
it is vulnerable to talk about your first sexual experience at a camp. It, I mean, on this podcast, I don't want to talk about my first sexual experience. It's like, that's vulnerable. Yeah. Don't no, you think? No, you're right. That is true. That is true. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very abstract idea, I think. Uh, what I'm yeah. what I'm kind of pushing back against is just this idea that it's like this, it's like a it's like a product or like a, it's like something you can just kind of pump out, but mm-hmm. it, but it's kind it's just yeah it's more involved than that it you know I actually have a friend who's a musician who told me like every time he puts out a record he like doesn't sleep for a week because yeah sure he's like what are like I feel like I've shown too much of myself mm-hmm. and. I'm like, that's a vulnerable artist. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think also, like, I think some, like, for you and me, um, actually, I, I I don't want to speak for you, but I think for the kind of people that we are, like, it's not, to me, it's not that vulnerable to share information about myself. I'm actually, if anything, it would be, it's more vulnerable for me not to overshare <laughs> you yeah, know, it's actually more that. vulnerable to just shut my mouth and just listen or because yeah. Yeah, because because for me and maybe for you, I'm actually manipulating vulnerability to get love. Yeah. And so it's more secure and more me to be like I don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't have to share something that will make me feel uncomfortable the next day. Yeah. But I think it's just unfortunate because my sermons are can be very vulnerable and I get a lot of praise for that. Yeah. But there are mo- there are some sermons where the next day I go, why did I do that? Because I shared it in a, an arena where people didn't earn that. And in return, I got people confused or they misunderstood. And I just go, I never want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Like I have lots of moments like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Good talk, Jor. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, that was planetarium. <laughs> that was planetarium. To sum up our thoughts, we like it. It's good. It just doesn't seem to. It's just not up in the pantheon of of Sufjan's actual albums. Yeah. Is that a good way to summarize? Yeah, I, it's it's a, an addition to his body of work. Some of it's irritating. Some of it's beautiful. Yep. Um. We solved it. All right, Jar. Well, that was fun. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, maybe our next episode will be me in Vancouver. I don't know. Yeah, and what do we got coming up next? I guess we got the greatest gift. See you later. Bye. We have got to talk about Venus. Yeah, isn't that where um, women are from?